you've joined Pathways to Resilience, the podcast where real people share real stories, helping us build our playbook toward resilience. And now, here's the host of the show, Melissa Santos. Welcome back to Pathways to Resilience. I am so excited and proud and just really looking forward to um, this first episode um, of Inside CS, where um, I have some team members um, from Community Solutions joining me um, for our Pride Month special. Um, And so I just first want to thank you all for being here um, and for joining in this conversation with me. Um, joining into our work together, certainly, but to really take a, a minute from that to, to have this time and space to highlight each of you um, and have this conversation. I'm just, I really am, I'm really appreciative and excited for. So welcome. Um, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. We, um, and so that's where we're going to start is sharing a little bit about yourself, and your own LGBTQ identity. So who wants to jump first? I'll go. Thanks, Roy. Yeah, of course. Um, my name is Royana Lakir mangle um, but I go by Roy. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist here at Community Solutions. Um, and I identify as bi or queer. Um, politically, I think, um, holding my bisexual identity is important because I think there's a lot of, um, bi invisibility and bi erasure. So, um, I think it's really important to, um, identify that way, but, um, to my friends, family, and socially, um, I identify as queer. Thanks for being here. Who's next? I could go next. I am Abraham Gonzalez, or Abe. Pronouns are he, him, his, and L. I am the program manager for our traditional adult, older adult, and dual diagnosis program here at Community Solutions. I am a proud Latino gay male. Yes, you are. Thanks for being here. Um, I'm Diane Begay. I am a case manager in the traditional adult program at Community Solutions. Um, I am someone who identified uh, my own sexuality, and I guess I'm continuing to identify it later on in life. Um, But for now, I uh, describe myself as bi or queer, um, and I'm still learning more about that and about what that means specifically to me. Great. Thanks for being here. Awesome. Uh, Can you hear me? Yes. Awesome. My name is Elias Earhart. So I work as our senior HR director here at Community Solutions. And my personal identity, I identify as gay or queer. I'm personally really fond of the queer identity because it's encompassed of so many. Um, I also, from a gender standpoint, identify as non-binary as well and, and use pronouns they, them, or he, him. Really either works. And happy to be here. Thanks for having us, Melissa. Thanks for being here, all of you. And so, you know, you all said your professional title in your um, in your introduction, but I just want to say we when we when we were preparing for this that it's really showing up as human beings. And so, thanks for for letting everybody know kind of what your role is um, in the direct service work um, or supporting our staff at Community Solutions. But really, um, full permission to just show up um, 
as yourselves as, as human beings. So given that this is Pride Month, um, and I think when I was talking to Elias and Abe in preparation for this, it was like, how do we, how can we understand pride as more than just putting a rainbow on my social media picture and um, really, you know, what does it mean? So I, I wanted to start with each of you or just a conversation among us around what does pride mean to you this month and all the time? Um, I mean, I appreciate the, you know, the rainbows for this month, but like uh, this background has been here for like six months, regardless of what, if whether we're in June or we're in the middle of like Christmas. Um, but um, I think pride means or what I take from it. I mean, I think it's like there's pride the month and then there's like personal pride in your identity. Um, and I, I think it's the month itself is, you know, it's a celebration. It's a um, uh, acknowledgement of being authentic in who you are. Um, and I also think that it's trying to soak up as much joy from your community um, to kind of offset the the kind of uh trauma of being othered in most cases um whether you can are othered outwards or you feel an otherness within um i i think it's um like an acknowledgement that being authentic is the most beautiful thing and that's where we can find the most joy mm. that's what it means. i love that soaking up as much joy as you can from your community yeah, Roy, I like what you said. I was in um, Sacramento Pride this past weekend, and it was so beautiful just to see everybody just be their authentic selves, people dressing up. It was such a great time. And although my, myself, like I'm not, I just don't feel like I need to like put rainbows on everything because that's just not what I'm about, you know, because that that's, that's not my only definition, right? But it is such a cool thing to see like just different age groups, right? You had like four-year-olds walking with their grandparents and like, it was, I don't know, it was just such a great feeling. And um, I think this month just makes me feel all special. Um, not to say that I don't any, any, awesome. any, any other month, right? Mm-hmm. But I do, I do think something about this month. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's a great feeling to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love that. Cause I think that kind of what you're saying, Roy, about being in community and, and I know if I'm walking down the street in a community where there's, I don't necessarily see a lot of queer people. It's like, oh, there's a queer person. I like want to go talk with them and be in community. And it's that month and at celebrations where it doesn't feel like you're othered. And it feels like, oh, I can kind like to me, oftentimes at prides, it's like I can particularly at there's like the trans march, there's dyke march, right? There's like lots of smaller sections of pride as well. But in those gathering spaces, you aren't a, a minority in that space mm-hmm. many times, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that ability to kind of um, take a deep breath, you didn't even know that you needed is really lovely within those spaces. And so I, I'm, I went to Pride Santa Cruz here, which is really tiny. The parade's like maybe 20 minutes long, which is perfect <laughs> for me. Um, but really sweet to be in community in, mm-hmm. in all ages. And mm-hmm. and I think Pride is a is a protest at the heart of it, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it's also like a source of just sitting in some 
joy and love, you know, in the context of everything else that's happening in the world. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. definitely. I appreciate how uh, Abe and Elias, you brought up bringing all ages into it. I think that's super important. Um, you know, I have children and they identify in ways that may be considered other. And I want to make sure that this is something that they feel safe expressing to people and something that they feel comfortable sharing and being and living every day this way. And I think that has really, uh, I can't think of the word, but it's sort of how I built my own life and my own acceptance Mm. of who I am because I want them to be able to live that way from the start. Mm -hmm. How beautiful. And I I actually loved what you said, Elias, too, about how this really is a protest and don't want to lose sight. And, And you actually helped me look into this, that as we're, as we're having this joy, right? It was like the, the theme of that joy for justice, right? Um, because while there is all this beautiful joy to be celebrated and to connect with, there's also a record amount of legislation, anti-gay, especially anti-trans legislation um, right now. And so just what that, how that, um, just how those two things are coexisting how 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 is that right now i i mean yeah i really appreciate bringing that up because i i think that my you know my thought of soaking up joy in and of itself for our community that is a protest that like we can be joyful in what other people will will find like statistically as like being like seeing or experiencing a lot more adversity than the average person. So I think that like soaking up joy and being authentic and being visible and being loud and being proud is in itself a protest. But I think there's also, you know, having those conversations with your family, with your friends, like not just out in, you know, public or not on just these forums or not professionally, like that all mm-hmm. in of itself is a protest. And also, I mean, I know we're going to get to this, but how to be an ally. It's mm-hmm. not just an ally to the, you know, performatively, it's an ally mm-hmm. to, in every space that you're in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was really, so then, you know, the name of the podcast is Pathways to Resilience. And I was wanted to be really careful about how we talked about resilience because, um, and this has come up with other guests and even in the forming of this, that there are, when we're talking about homophobia, racism, hate, there are things that people may need to tap into their resilience to overcome that they shouldn't have to in the first place. So not wanting to like glorify the resilience of like, oh, I came out and I'm accepted and I'm resilient because, you know, but Um, so in our, our pre-meeting discussions really around thinking about how do you find resilience in your identity, in your LGBT, LGBTQ identity, um, and, and sort of looking at resilience from there, how you've harnessed it, how that's helped you harness it or how you do harness it. Who wants to jump in first for that? 
I can share just a little bit. I think what comes in terms of resilience is I feel really like really proud of my identity. Like it's a deep, I just feel like I get a tremendous amount of joy in the midst of pain and suffering, you know, in the world. I am like, I would not choose a different way. Right. And I recognize mm-hmm. my identity as a white person is also at the intersection of that. There's a lot of privilege that comes with acknowledging that. And I'm, I love having a core identity. It gives me a deep, deep sense of community with folks in, in my personal world. And it's that that's a big level of resilience for me is, mm-hmm. is surrounding myself with, with folks that have a, a kind of that intersecting gender and sexuality, like lived experience is a huge source of my resilience because it's like, oh, I have kind of a bigger perspective on what's going on, you know? And although there are those anti-LGBTQ legislations, that too will ultimately change. And we do have the power to change that. And it's really unfortunate the time and place that it's happening right now, but it's that my kind of heart core is a big source of that resilience for me. Mm. So that just being your true authentic self and then surrounded by people, surrounding yourself by a community of people who kind of hold you up to be able to, to be your authentic self. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to, I'm going to piggyback on that a little bit because I don't know if y'all mentioned, I did say proud gay Latino male and I, I am proud of that. I am super proud of that. There's so much history behind machismo in the Latin community. And I am, I'm proud of who I am and the people I surround myself with. So I definitely utilize like my friend group to like, just, I'm just, yeah, I just, I just, I just find that like, I'm, I'm proud of who I am and my identities and like who I'm becoming and who my family's becoming. Like I find mm. resilience in um, just the connections I'm making with the people I have in my life right now. Mm. Makes me feel good. Community is super important. Um, when I think about my own resilience, you know, it, it's gotten me through like a lot of things throughout my life. And, um, I, a few years back, I discovered the softball community and the softball community is wonderful and full of quite a bit of gay women. And it's amazing. And, <laughs> um, I, I think just finding people that I can connect with and that I can talk with and I can feel like in a place where I belong, you know, it's, it's not necessarily the sport. It's, it's the people, it's the community. Mm -hmm. And, um, I I think community is huge for my own resilience. Yeah. Go ahead. Right. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that's great. I was going to say, don't we know that to be true regardless? I mean, in whatever role, or, you know, we know it in our trauma-informed care, right? Just human connection, right, is is so important for our health and our wellness. And certainly that when when it's people connect, human connection with people who allow us to show up as our authentic selves. And I was talking about some, to someone yesterday that doesn't love us anyway, like, eh, there's this thing about you. I don't like, or I don't agree with you, but I love you anyway, but love you all the way that that, right. That's the stuff that really helps us not only to be able to be in our resilience, but our, just our aliveness. Right. Yeah. 
Go ahead, Bri. Yeah, I was just going to say everything resonates with me. And um, I, I think that from a young age, I wanted, I was trying to really cultivate being loved for uniqueness and like, would like, if everyone was into something, I would be into something else. And obviously I think that's like, was a manifestation of what was, you know, developing and what I knew about myself. And I just, I think there was things that I thought about and that I was inspired to think about that maybe my peers weren't. And I think within those just like internal processes of like trying to find someone who's safe or someone who I really connect with on a deep level, like that made me be able to be resilient. Cause I had, uh, I had like a foundation of like, what is different about me is what makes me awesome. And like the shit, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> so I really, mm-hmm. I like, I really worked on that really hard. And I think I, I reached out to those other people that I saw for that were unique and that's, and that's how I found like my community and like, oh, by chance, they were all like LGBTQ. So I think there's like a, I don't know, there's like a queer sensibility that I'm drawn to people. Um, you know, even if it's not obvious in their like gender presentation, um, you know, I just, yeah, I think, and I see that like in my work too. Mm. Like, I just see this like queer sensibility about like my clients and I just love that. I'm like, oh they don't like, I'm getting my, like my queer dar or gay dar is going off and it's like never wrong. And I'm like, cause the, and that, and the foundation of that and how I know is because they're just inexplicably resilient. And I'm mm. like, mm, there's something there. there. Yeah. That's pretty powerful. Just seeing that inexplicable <laughs> resilience within people. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go to that ally let's go to that allyship. Um, because I think, um, not that I think I know that, um, you can say you're an ally and not do just like anything else. Right. You can, um, what did you say? Elias? like wear the rainbow gap sticker or buy the t-shirt. Right. But not. And so I think an important piece for me to talk about and for us to talk about is how, what is authentic allyship, whether that's in the workplace as a coworker, um, as a family member, as just your neighbor, your community member, what, what, what is authentic allyship? I could start off the conversation. I think there are levels to allyship. I am in my, in my master's program and I had this brilliant instructor discuss the differences between allyship and a co-conspiracy. And um, I I was so like blown away by this conversation because, yeah, we can all be allies, but if we're not taking action and doing something, and we're not disrupting the systems that we have that we have instilled, then we're not we're not co-conspirators. Co-conspirators, we're not accomplices. We're just doing nothing. But once we start to actually create change and start to have these conversations with with our family members, with our coworkers, when we're actually doing something for the cause, and I think that's what's powerful. So there are layers to allyship, I think. Mm -hmm. I think we've learned a lot too with like other uh, communities standing up and asking for allyship and asking for support specifically um, communities of color. And something that I've learned that resonates with me is that true allyship is when you are 
able to recognize how the systems in place are uh, are helping you and put that aside and recognize that that's not a system to be part of because it it may be helping you, but it's obviously hurting someone else. And it's important to stand up against that, no matter what the consequences are for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's super powerful. What, what do you think? Let's get some, let's get tangible. What are some of those systems do you think that we need to be looking at? Everyone needs to be looking at their own connection to in order to really be part of um, the change, not just the complacent support. Well, I was going to mention, you know, I think allyship starts with obviously acknowledging and examining and challenging your own privilege. Um, and so, you know, um, heteronormative privilege, um, trans, uh, you know, cisgender privilege, um, and of course, um, you know, white privilege. And I think you have to examine those and you have to have uncomfortable conversations with yourself and other people and disrupt the status quo to be a true ally. And like, I love that you brought up accomplices, um, Abe, because I think that's where you really are taking action. It's not a rainbow, you know, sticker for the month of June. It's in every conversation and every place and every environment, you are going to disrupt that status quo if, you know, if necessary. Um, but yeah, those, the, the systems, I think, sorry to go back to your original question. Um, it's the systems of privilege, which, you know, favor white, cisgender, straight men. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Could you talk about cisgender? Just so listeners could do a little education here too. Sure. Um, yeah. So uh, cisgender um, is a term used when your sex assigned at birth um, aligns with your gender identity. So for example, I was assigned female um, at birth and then I identify as a woman or female. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. And just the, that there's privilege just in that Yep. alone. Things that, again, like that I don't think about that I'm sure and I know that my dear friends and family think about um, mm-hmm. if they if they identify as trans or non-binary. What do you think are some of the biggest or most hurtful, not maybe hurtful personally, but hurtful to the change of being an inauthentic ally um, can be? How can just sitting back and not making it part of all the conversations, how is that keeping discrimination and hate and going and alive? I think you're probably referring to either performative allyship or bystander. Yes, I think I'm, I think it's the bystander piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Remind me what the question was about. Well, just how is that, you know, how does it, you know, I'm one person, right? For instance, I'll just, so I'm one person. So how does me being kind of taking that bystander role of like, yes, I support you. I'm over here. I'm not challenging anybody about it. I'm not taking any action towards it, but I support you and I love you. 
um, how does that actually hurt or, or sustain, um, the discrimination and the hatred and the anti-gay agenda? Or does it? I mean, I think being a bystander in any situation can hurt, but, you know, something that immediately comes to mind, it, it doesn't challenge the status quo. It doesn't put yourself in that uncomfortable place. It doesn't, being a bystander doesn't try to affect change and try to create change within the structure that's created. And that continues to put people in the queer community to have to live within that structure that has, um, it's just, it's hard to live in that Mm -hmm. community and and society the way that it's set up if you're not what people consider uh, normal or typical. Mm Yeah, I think that's, a. I mean, that's kind of what you're saying, Diane and Roy and Abe. It's like had, you know, really acknowledging where your own privilege is and how it shows up and how you can lean into that to to help positive change. And like, I can tell pretty quickly once how someone asks about how I identify whether or not they've done their research instantly by how people phrase things. Ask me if it's what's my preferred pronouns, mm-hmm. assuming there's a choice in it, you know, that and there's just and it's 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 more from ignorance, never usually malintent in that case. But the ability to kind of pause and say, wow, let me maybe I can look this up on my own and do some mm-hmm. self-education and come back and have a much more enriching conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's the kind of like quicker way of people wanting to come and ask and, and what can I do? like, well, I probably have a hundred things you can do and ultimately not putting that necessarily on me or any of us or anyone else, but having done that, you know, because it's a really different conversation than this is the area that I see is like, what's not working, right? This is where I'm, I'm, I'm helping, but like, what else, what do you see? That conversation is really different than tell me what I should do, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and, and, and there's a lot and, and how can kind of we, or for me, I look at within the HR field, mm-hmm. right. People don't normally think of inclusion. They think of like gates, right. That keep people out. It's a centralized source of power within any, any business. And we don't always in the field of HR, many places are changing, but have a really great reputation of kind of leading in that like progressive space and how to do that. And I say that with HR, people are incredibly burnt out. They have a really tough job and it's a tough line to walk. And ultimately I see my roles, like how can I begin to use my, my kind of white male passing privilege to be able to show up, to be able to have more supportive space that, that trans folks, that queer folks can not have to worry that no one on the team will know how to use their pronoun and all of that. And it's a credible work in progress, but that privilege that we all have that I imagine that everyone in each of our own roles have that we can use to be able to affect change and, and having someone that partners because they've done their own research, they totally got their own privilege. That's a really different conversation and that's fun and energizing to partner versus maybe the bystander. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that reminds me yeah. of, you know, 
lifting up the voices, not necessarily speaking for the community, but lifting up the voices that actually can speak there. I mean, I think that that concept is, you know, from social justice in general is like lifting up instead of saying racism is, you know, unacceptable, lift up that voice that's actually a BIPOC person um, to, you know, say that and assert that those, those standards. I think we need to be careful of like the, not only like the white savior complex, but the straight savior complex. So it's, you know, how can you highlight the people in the community so that they are more visible and heard? So important. And I, yeah, it's been part of actually a lot of conversations lately of how to lift up and make space, like get out of the way. Like I just turned off my screen. You guys talk about this, Um, right? Kind of, but just, but stay out of the way. And or make or leave space or take, let them take your let people take your space whoever that is rather than speaking for um and Elias I also really appreciate what you're saying about <laughs> like oh I really want to support you so tell me how to do that like okay you know I'm <laughs> no that's actually not true support and when we go to and anything else we in our work we get educated on how to support people before we go do it, right? We don't go to our clients and say, so tell me, how do I help you with your mental health issues? Tell me more about that. Um, and, and, and how can we question how we're showing up as humans just in support of people um, that we care about? Um, let, let's talk more about, about that workplace. You brought in sort of that HR piece, Elias, but you know, how can a company as a whole, coworkers, what does authentic allyship look like in the workplace? I think something that I've noticed recently is um, it becoming more commonplace for people to share their pronouns, like without asking, without prompting, just making it like a regular thing. Um, because that, you know, if, if any one of us were in a position where we had different pronouns, than maybe we present as, then that would make it more obvious when we have to like share that. But, you know, the five of us are here sharing our pronouns without questions. I think that's huge. Yeah. When I think about the workplace, I just think about challenging the processes we have in play um just creating conversations or how we can do to how we can do better um Roy I um I think I've heard that you've tried to do this as well so I've I've emailed about intake documents and how just not pretty they are right and how we need to create change for this like they, they just need to be updated but I think we just need to have ongoing conversations regarding that, you know? It's about just working collaboratively with your coworkers on creating these changes and breaking down these barriers. Um, you know, I was really proud to see how our avatar system now at the top utilizes um, client pronouns or inputs client pronouns or preferred names. Like that's that's great. That's awesome for client care. I think it's, it's so important to have that especially for the providers to help learn on how to appropriately connect with their um, 
with their with their clients. So I just think it's about having ongoing conversations and continue having that talk, mm-hmm. not with just each other, but just everybody. Um, I'm thinking about even if it's an application or whatever it is, and there's bigger things too. But when you when your pronouns aren't what's on the page or aren't what you're assuming most people in the room are, to your point, Diane, then you're you automatically are like you're literally sometimes other right on the other line and just what impact that must have to be other you know i mean that sends such a powerful message of yeah. not normal not accepted we don't even know what where to put you really but we put the other there for <laughs> whatever you know you need just that um powerful couple other things that I've thought of, um, that I think that, uh, in my like almost eight years of being at community solutions, like they've done, they've made a lot of progress on is, um, the trainings that are available, um, and, you know, supporting people in the agency that are interested in being a trainer, like for example, you know, the SOGI training and like being able to go to a training that week long, getting paid for it, um, you know, uh, and it not being necessarily having to be a volunteer situation, um, that's huge. And then like bringing in the mosaic collaborative, I think that's huge having more access and easy access to education, um, is huge. Um, I thought of another thing, but not one to me. And then, you know, just being a, um, employer of choice for LGBTQ people Mm. in general, like bringing more representation so that we actually have a community of very like you know, seeing community, um, on different levels of, um, an agency. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and you talk to whether it's training or just access, easy access to not just training, but to dial, to be in dialogue together, Yeah, right. To be, to, to create, yes, shared language and understanding, but then, um, having opportunities for people outside of the community to question, to begin the questioning of privilege. Mm-hmm. How am I showing up? Mm-hmm. Also, what's my unicorn? I highly enjoy the unicorn worksheet. Um, but, uh, but just having those, making those conversations part of the workday um, in a, in an intentional way and not this like special thing that you have to, like you said, go off and volunteer to do. Yeah. So important. Other, just other thoughts around the month, the conversation, what you'd want people to know about action steps they can take as they think about whether it's think about their own identity or think about um, their, how they show up as an ally. Um, I mean, educate, obviously educate yourself. Um, if someone is engaging you in a conversation and they seem to be receptive to questions, ask, don't make assumptions. Um, I mean, those are kind of just like basic things, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. let me think more. Yeah, start. I think the basics are important though, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, asking those questions and understanding that you as an individual can't know more than that person about who they are as a person and be willing to acknowledge that and, 
and not question it. Just take it for what it is. That's super important. Isn't that such a powerful, simple, but not simple way? Or that doesn't, we don't see enough of making space is not assuming that you can possibly know who someone is more than they do. Absolutely. Um, Oh, yeah. And we do that all the, like we're kind of conditioned, right? To make assumptions based on what we see because we're so um, entrenched and raised in stereotypes. But how do we break that, right? How do we even break that? Other thoughts? I think the other thing I would add kind of, it seems like privilege is the theme, at least for me, that's resonating, but also the privilege with your role within a company too, both as a a leader. I mean, HR, no matter what hat you wear, there's a whole history and experience that comes along with that. And employees have trauma with HR and other, it's just like an interesting realm to be in, but also in your position of leadership and how do we show up or how to, if you're a manager and you have an employee that comes forward to say, Hey, this would actually be really helpful if we did this, right? Not from just LGBTQ, it could be really from, from any different aspect and like how we respond in that moment whether or not you would agree, disagree, doesn't matter, right? But how we hold space for creating that willingness to come forward in our reactions, particularly our reactions, if we're white, if we're in a position of leadership, right? If we're a manager, you know, there's a lot that comes with that. And so that that openness to create those channels as, you know, right, you're saying you're updating your intake forms, right? Like, yeah, someone spoke up probably about that intake form. Someone probably spoke up around pronouns not or this system not working because it doesn't serve certain employees. It's like, it takes speaking up to change that, you know, and and even looking at like healthcare and trans-inclusive healthcare, you know, we've reached out to all our uh, broker's just to confirm, right, that this care is included in our plans. And mm-hmm. we lead on that. It's not like waiting passively. It's like if we don't speak up as a as as a business to be able to say, yeah, we need this, our employees need this, regardless if no one is using it. That's not the point, really. It's about right. if we're going to be a workplace that does support BIPOC that does support LGBTQ employees, yeah, we need to be leaning into those. And we won't all know that. So sometimes we'll know because we've either done our research, we have the lived experience, or hopefully someone will have said something and they will have taken the courage and we have well received it, sat with it, and and made positive change from that. And so that's such a big role, the intersection of that, that privilege is how do we use that to create that openness for change because it, it is ever evolving, right? Mm-hmm. The new thing on Avatar, right? It's like, yeah, it's always evolving. We're not going to arrive, but the moment we say, we say that we have arrived, mm-hmm. well, we're here, we're at that workplace. We're not, we're not going to get there and we never will, but the, our, our willingness to talk and lean in and be open to change is like the foundation for bettering a team or relationship in a workplace. So that's just what I'm thin with now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Elias. I a hundred percent agree with you. I'm just going to keep this simple and sweet. We just need to show up and give space. This is a lifelong journey that we all are a part of. And as long as you're giving us those two things, that's all we could ask for right now, you know? So I, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. I'm going to, I'm going to end with the question I end all um, of our episodes with for each of you. Um, So we talked about resilience, but is, what is resilience? How do you, how do you define, or would you define resilience? 
and it wasn't on the list of prepared questions. So you may need a second to think. Your Diane's like, nope, it was not. <laughs> hmm. I mean, in the in the interest of keeping it simple, I think resilience is a choice to find a way to keep going and continue on. Mm. It's an, an active choice that we have to make. An active choice to keep going. Anybody else? I'm struck by um, an active choice to keep going. And then Abe's create space and show up. I mean, that's how we, that's how we can help support the resilience in one another, right? Is creating space for each of us to figure out how do we activate, how do we actively make that choice? And then um, to show up for each other as we figure out what that lifelong journey is, because we don't ever arrive. And we have to tap into it at different places and different times for different things. I'm I struck with resilience today for me is really that deep level of knowing and self-care. Mm-hmm. Like not like I'm gonna go get a massage, but like no, I'm have that like settled time that's about me, you know, because no matter how much we love our work, that's not our life. And and so that willingness to do that work on yourself and kind of manage burnout well before it's there from a nurturing, like uplifting standpoint. And again, that comes back to community. Like if Mm -hmm. I'm surrounded by people I love and uplift me and I'm seen right within that, Mm -hmm. I mean, I've both, I saw both queer gender variant identities in myself through the communities. It's like through other people that you see yourself. And so that being grounded in that community is, is like, is resilience for me. Yeah. I, I, that all resonates and I'm deep in thought, but I think, I think showing up in a place from a place of worthiness and interacting and coming toward making connections from a place of other people's worthiness, I think is resiliency, Mm. despite sometimes not feeling worthy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's super powerful, Brianna. Worthiness. Our own worthiness, tapping into that, and then giving that to others. Well, I want to just thank each of you for engaging in this conversation with me. I appreciate each of you. Um, and um, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, Melissa. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, thank you for creating the space. Uh-huh. Appreciate it. Thank you, fam, for doing this with me. <laughs> Thanks for joining Pathways to Resilience, an initiative of Community Solutions. For more information, visit us at www.communitysolutions.org.